Good morning, everyone. Well, as Bill mentioned, today we are going to be diving into the topic of sexuality and lust. So everybody just take a deep breath and be okay. It's an important subject for us to talk about as Christians, but I can tell you that today a number of you are going to feel very nervous and uncomfortable for a variety of reasons. Some of you are going to feel uncomfortable because the topic of sex and sexuality is just too private to talk about in your mind, especially when it comes to the church. Others are just going to feel awkward because this subject was super taboo in your home growing up. And yet for others, this is going to hit home in a very real way, and the Spirit is going to bring conviction. And before we go any further, I just want to pause and just make sure we understand the difference between conviction and shame. Conviction or if you want to call it godly shame, leads us further into the light. It leads us to repentance. It leads us turning to God with our sin, with the ugliness that we see. Shame drives us deeper into hiding. It leads to greater darkness, into isolation, and away from God's face. And my prayer today is that not only will the Spirit bring conviction where necessary, but that the gospel will shine all the brighter and that you don't feel wounded unnecessarily. Because you see, when the Lord wounds, He does it like a surgeon who cuts intentionally in order to root out evil and darkness and bring true healing and wholeness. So you may feel really uncomfortable today, but as a church, we have to talk about these types of issues. Because even in your silence, you're saying something. Your silence screams really loud and clear. It says something loud and clear to everyone in this room who struggles with sexual lust, who struggles with temptation and pornography, who indulges in fantasy worlds, who have taken action on those fantasies and committed adultery, or practiced sexuality outside of God's directed means. Your silence screams this. You're alone. You're the only one who's facing this and struggling with this. No one talks about it because it's shameful. And you didn't just fail, you are a failure. You're hopeless, you're too far gone. You see, the enemy's favorite dish to serve up is shame. And the recipe is actually pretty simple, just a few core ingredients. Silence, darkness, isolation leads to shame, which gives birth to death. And the Lord today is inviting us to step into the light, to be known, because even the darkness is actually light to Him. See, we have to talk about it because the world around us is talking about it. You are being discipled in your sexuality by the world, actively being discipled by the kingdom of darkness, and it's usually never in line with the reality that God has created and designed. The kingdom of darkness tells us that sex is something to just be consumed. No strings attached. We want to detach intimacy from sex. It's a commodity that's to be traded. So we have apps like Tinder and other hookup apps, and and just the, the air around all the buzz about sex is just casual. No worries. It's a thing. Instead of saying, I love you, the kingdom of darkness says, I use you. It's all about your appetites, your desires, whatever you feel. Commercials and advertisements say that the sexier is happier, the sexier is better. 
Sex is something that we just use to sell a product. It's in movies. It's everywhere, right? And the Lord actually has a lot to say about our bodies, about sexuality, about our thoughts, about lust. But yet Christians often are so silent on it because we feel uncomfortable, and shame often has a very strong grip. There is so much more than we can cover in 30, 35 minutes. I do want to recommend two books if you want to go a little further on this. The first one is by a man named Christopher Yuan. It's called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. Excellent book. The second is called The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregoire. Both excellent books I'd encourage highly, highly, highly to dig a little deeper into this because we are talking about it all the time, and actually the Bible has a lot to say about it. One pastor, Ray Ortland, says this. He says, The Bible is not shy about sex, and its message is clear. Sexual folly destroys, sexual wisdom satisfies, and Christ is better than the best sex. See, we want to be a church that's not afraid of difficult conversations. We want to take our sin very seriously which means we'll talk about uncomfortable things. We don't want to shy back from those things. Believe that God's Word has wisdom for all areas of life. And at the same time as we are very serious about our sin, we want to be just as serious and celebrate the forgiveness that we receive, that there is grace for sinners and sufferers like you and me. That the blood of Jesus is able to wash out what seems to be an unremovable stain. That He is able to redeem your jacked up story and mine. That there's no sin too great, no addiction too strong, and that no one is too far gone for the grace of Jesus Christ to redeem. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 5. I trust you had them out as Bob was reading that passage to us. As you've already heard, we've spent the last six weeks talking about wisdom. How important it is, how we are desperately in need of wisdom for all areas of life, that we have to consciously reject the way of the fool and go to God, who is the source of wisdom, and we pursue it with Him, and we submit to the Lord in loving obedience, another way of saying the fear of the Lord, and in the end, receive life. And today, we're going to get into the first of many subjects this summer, where we're going to understand what is the wisdom that God has given to us in the book of Proverbs. The first nine chapters, which is where we've been so far, and actually we're going to be again today, are a series of speeches from a father to his sons, calling them to wisdom. And right in the middle, for three, almost three full chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7, is a conversation about sexuality. And the starting foundation for a conversation like this must be the fact that God is God. That sounds really simple, but it's incredibly important. That God is the all-wise creator, the one who knows what brings life and what brings death. And as the sovereign ruler and king of the universe and of my life, whatever he tells me on any subject, I listen to. Because he's the, he alone can define what is good and what is evil what is right and what is wrong. And I trust that in his wisdom, he has given boundaries that are not meant to limit my joy, but actually for my flourishing, for your flourishing. We see this in other areas. If you were to flip over to chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, you get this in a different metaphor. 
He says this, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? And the answer to that is no. Fire has boundaries. We understand that. And those boundaries are not meant to hurt us, but they're actually meant to bring life. Put a fire, hot coals in a fireplace, and it's beautiful. It can give warmth. Cook food over it. It's amazing. It's good. Put it in your lap, and it's going to burn you. Boundaries are not bad. The right boundaries are actually what bring life. And God, in His wisdom, has given sexuality to human beings. It was given part of creation prior to sin coming into this world. To be human is to be sexual. I didn't say that you use your sexuality however you want. See, contrary to common thought, just because you have a desire or an impulse towards something does not mean we act on that and fulfill that. I may be driving down the road and have an impulse to use my car as a bumper car to teach that driver over there how to stay in his lane. And everyone around would go, don't do that. There are rules and boundaries to the road that if you break them, chaos ensues. The same is true in the area of sexuality. God has given sexuality as a gift that is designed to be used in submission to Him regardless of your situation. If you are single, if you are married, if you are old, if you are young, if you are male, if you are female, the way we use our sexuality is always in submission to Him. That's the foundation where we start this conversation. And that is meant to bring life. And throughout Scripture, through the stories that are unpacked for us, through laws, through direct instruction, you see one lane for sexual activity to be exercised. One lane. One man, one woman, in the covenant of marriage, until death separates them, as a means to serve the other person, not self-seeking. Every other deviation from that is what the Bible describes as sexual immorality. And within those boundaries, God has given sex as a means to serve to, for pleasure, for procreation. In fact, to take this too far is to think that sex is bad or dirty or wrong. But if you look in this passage, if you go down to verse 15, you'll actually find the longest section in this whole passage is unbelievably positive view of sex. It's actually a little erotic at times. Verse 15 to 19 says this, Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow into the streets and your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you be ever intoxicated with her love. Unbelievably positive view of sex and sexuality. The picture here is about having your sexual thirst be quenched in private with your spouse, of which you are in the covenant of marriage. Mutual love and service in those boundaries that God has created. But in order to live wisely as sexual human beings, we are going to need wisdom. 
Because if you don't, you will fall into the hands of what we see here in verse 3 as the adulterous woman. Follow with me for the first six verses. Let's read those again and walk through them a bit. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. This is a very common invitation to wisdom. It's repeated throughout the entire book. You need wisdom. Get it, keep it, don't lose it. Why? One specific reason in this passage. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly. She does not know it. We're going to need wisdom to stay out of the hands of what the NIV calls the adulterous woman. Other translations, if you happen to have a different translation, may use a a different, possibly a bit more literal translation, calling her the forbidden woman or the strange woman. In other words, the woman who is a stranger to the covenant of your marriage, someone who's not your spouse, who has a prostitute heart, who disconnects sex from intimacy. Her ways are shifty and slippery. And actually, in the very next chapter, in chapter 6, verse 25, this warning is taken beyond, unless we think that it's just about some physical act of adultery, it's taken and driven deeper into a heart issue. Chapter 6, verse 25 says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. It's the same message that you get from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where he says, but if I tell you that if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Lust is this intense sexual desire that is perhaps not acted on physically, but is meditated on, lived out, developed, played out in your mind. It's this obsessive craving for sexual activity outside of what God has designed. It requires no sacrifice. It requires no service except service for yourself. It's done in the mind, but it impacts and lives out and affects the body as well. One author put it this way, simply put, sexual lust is, the desire, is to desire something that we believe to be good outside of what God has called good. It's to put our will and pleasure above God's. And before we go any further, just just a quick side note that don't get hung up on gender in the book of Proverbs. To remember the context of what's being personified in this passage and others. Solomon is giving instruction to his sons. So naturally, his instruction would be directed towards young men concerning young women. But if a mom was giving instruction to her daughter, the script would be flipped. Just like wisdom is personified as a woman, but is available to all men and women, the warning here of the foolish, strange, foreign, adulterous woman attitude is a warning both ways. Sexual lust is not every man's battle. It's a human battle. It is true that there are some demographics who on average, tend to be more easily enticed, but the statistics are clear. Sexual sin 
is not simply just a young male thing. It's a human thing of all ages. First thing we notice about this passage in Proverbs 5, about this strange woman, this lure, this, this pool towards sexual immorality and lust, is that it always sounds good and is enticing. Wouldn't it be great if evil was always ugly? We could see it coming. Look at what's described. Her lips drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. It looks, it sounds, it tastes good. Who's going to know what goes on in my mind? What's it going to hurt anybody? She is just so fine. How, I, I can't help it. I've just got these urges. Find all these ways that we look and we go, it just looks and feels like it's going to give me everything that I think is going to bring a better life. Pleasure, power, control, not feeling alone. The list goes on and on and on of what it promises. But Scripture is really clear over and over in chapters 5, 6, and 7. There's only one end, and it's not the promise that it makes. It leads to death. Sexual immorality and lust is like bitter honey. It reminds me of vanilla extract. I don't know if you as a kid ever had someone, you know, bake or cook with vanilla extract. I don't care if you're a kid or an adult. I smell that as an adult, and I think, that's got to taste good. Like, it just smells so good until I tasted it. And you realize it's exactly what sin is. It's exactly what sexual immorality is. It's exactly what lust is. It promises a sweetness. It promises to satisfy. It promises to taste good. And then it's about enough to make you sick inside when you taste it. It doesn't lead to what it promises. Sin always leads with the promise of short-term pleasure while ignoring the long-term costs. That's just its MO. It doesn't promise you, hey, this is going to ruin your life. In the long run, it says it's going to feel good for a couple seconds. Presents the short-term pleasures. You can forget all that hard stuff. Just be here. Gives you control. Life's hard and crazy. You have some control in life here. You're the king. You're the queen. But it can't deliver. It only ruins, empties, brings death, not life. And we know it. So where does Solomon take this? Where does the father take this then? Verses 7 and 8. Now then, my sons, listen to me. You can almost hear him pleading. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Keep away, he says to his sons. And he goes on in the following verses and gives three reasons. And I'm pretty sure he could have kept going with, with more reasons. He says, you will lose your honor and your dignity. And everyone who wrestles with sexual lust and temptation knows that that's true. He goes on in verse 10 to talk about how you're actually going to benefit someone else and it's not going to be yourself. Someone else is going to profit. And it's usually big corporate America that's going to benefit from it. It's not you. There's no benefit for you in the end. In fact, verses 11 to 14 give a very clear picture of what the end of indulging in sexual immorality is. 
And it's the word regret. It's the word regret. No one has left an affair. No one has left being discovered of their lust that they have indulged in for years and thought, great choice, I'm glad I did that. It's always regret. It's always regret. We can't have a conversation about lust and sexual temptation and not specifically talk about the real pandemic in our country. And it's not COVID. It's pornography. Pornography is the primary fuel for lust in our day. The statistics are so unbelievably high that I just assume every person in this room has been exposed to pornography, and the vast majority of us have either, either have in our past or are currently actively and intentionally pursuing it on a regular basis. What used to take effort to find some pornographic magazine is now simply two clicks away, thanks to the internet, at any time. The porn industry is an insanely profitable industry. It is more profitable than Major League Baseball, National Football League, and professional basketball combined. And those are the kings of our culture. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, global industry, in which America is the primary consumer. Statistics say that 90% of children between 8 and 16 have viewed pornography online. And it actually targets 9 to 12-year-olds because it knows that if it can hook the young early, they'll have a lifelong consumer. The average age of exposure to pornography was 11, and I was younger. Pornography promises the same as the adulterous woman, the strange woman. It promises pleasure to escape from your challenges of your difficult marriage, of your difficult work, of your life that's boring. It gives you control over something when all of life is out of control but in the end, it doesn't deliver. It's like a, a lure that looks so tasty, the bait on it, but there's a hook inside, and like a stupid fish, we latch on. Porn is not harmless, destroys marriages, it erodes trust. The very chemistry of our brains gets rewired so that we need more, we need stronger, that it, it makes the real person less appealing because it's not new and exciting. changes our actual bodies and how we can experience the real deal. It changes I love you into I use you. It's the largest driving force behind the global sex trafficking. It promotes violence as 90% of all pornographic movies have violent, ag aggressive actions. It teaches us to objectify others. It turns us into consumers instead of servants. I can keep going. I won't. If you turn over with me to Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to get the same warning, but we're actually going to get it in a story form. Because in Proverbs 7, what we see is the father tells a story to his sons. I'm going to kind of skip down through, so please don't be confused if I jump. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to jump through some pieces. 
He says, verse 6, At the window of my house I looked down through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I noticed among them, among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading as the dark of night set in. And, and you kind of pause and, and notice that, that it doesn't say that this person is actively looking for it, does it? Not looking for the adulterous woman. Just naive. Just simple, if you remember from a couple weeks ago. Just kind of absent-minded, unaware, lacking wisdom. But lust came looking for him, and he was unprepared, caught off guard. Verse 10, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent, Verse 13, she took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said in verse 18, come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's away. No one's going to know. In verse 21, with persuasive words, she led him astray, and she seduced him with her smooth talk, and all at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, little knowing it will cost him his life. 26 and 27, many are the victims she has brought down, her slain a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. And many of us know this story far too well because it's a description of us. This story plays itself out on a regular basis in church, in houses all around this country and in our homes right here. So we cannot be naive about sexual temptation, the internet, even if we're not looking for it. You've probably had that experience. You're flipping through the channels and something catches your eye that you just weren't ready for. And all of a sudden, that desire is there. You're browsing the internet, doing your Facebook thing, checking Instagram, and there goes a reel that is very sexually enticing. And what's crazy is the algorithms catch how long you linger, and so they feed you more. TikTok. I mean, just go on all, there's apps galore. Parents, if I can just have a word with you especially. Grandparents, listen, and if your kids aren't here, have conversations with them as well. Be wise in what you hand to your kid. See, before we put kids behind the wheel of a car, we make them go through all sorts of training and testing. And, and we make sure they know the rules and the boundaries and the consequences if they're broken. And yet we turn and we hand a 10-year-old a smartphone, which is unprotected and unfiltered. And to me, I just don't understand how that works. See, the call of Proverbs 5 is to keep to a path far from her. And as parents, we actually have that responsibility to help our kids in that area not be this naive young man. I'm not anti-cell phones. I have a smartphone. I just left it down there. But our, our family rule, and it's not about age, is that I don't need unfiltered internet access. And I don't actually think any of us do. Years ago, Jolie and I invested in filtering every device and phone that comes into our home. Does the, there's amazing software out there these days. Stuff like Bark, Covenant Eyes, NetNanny. Even your Apple and Android devices have parental controls. 
I, I don't, I'm not naive to think that that solves the problem, but I do think it's a piece of wisdom to say, how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our kids from being that naive, simple? Be wise about when you give your kids a phone or a device. Be willing to be that parent who is just so mean because you're the only kid in their whole school who doesn't have a smartphone. Are you willing to be that parent to love and care for your kid? Maybe as a family, you need to have family devices about where they belong, how devices and things don't need to go in the bedrooms in private, where things are kept in common areas, where you, you keep those rules then yourself, by the way. Your kids will see if you don't. Do your homework on the latest apps. Set bedtimes for your devices. But above all, have conversations about it. Don't ask, how long can I put off this sex talk? But think, how soon, at an age-appropriate level, can I begin to equip my kids to know the truth about God's definition of good and evil? How soon can I have conversations about the beauty of their bodies and of the gift of sexuality at age-appropriate levels and how to filter out the messages of the kingdom of darkness? Help your kids know what to do when, not if, but when they're exposed to pornography and prepare yourself for that conversation when it comes. At the right age, open up about your own struggles. The point is, keep to a path far from her. Adults, this isn't just about our kids. What do you need to do as a step of faith in order to keep far from the path of sexual sin? What major adjustments in your habits with your devices, with your thoughts, do you need to make even putting filtering software on your own devices if necessary. See, the strange woman will look and feel good, but a seduction leads to death. Two things I think that'll be really helpful for us as well. Those are respect and intimacy. Respect. Just curious if you would, that person that becomes the object of your lust, if that was your sister or your brother, would you think that? Would you consider mulling over that way about your son or your daughter? How would things change if we actually saw the former objects of our lust as human beings who are made in the image of God, worthy of respect and honor, even if they don't give it to themselves? Refuse to treat them as objects of sexual gratification, Second word, intimacy. You see, here's what sin does. Sin has always done this from the very beginning. Sin always takes something that is good and beautiful and twists it. Evil is not actually a thing. What evil does is like a parasite, latches onto something good that God has given and turns it inward for selfish use. That's what sin always is. It just a, a mutating, a destroying, a twisting of something good. And sexual immorality and lust are no different because underneath the fruit of lust is a really good thing. It's called the desire for intimacy. See, you were not created for sex. You were created for intimacy. You were created for intimacy with God. You were created for intimacy at appropriate levels with one another. And intimacy is far greater than sex. Within the right confines, sex can be a means 
of deepening intimacy between a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage alone. Intimacy is emotional. It's relational. It's so much more than just sexuality. And so if that is the desire of your heart that is masking itself or limited as, as, as lust, as just some appetite, as if you were just an animal, then be reminded that in those moments, what you're actually look, longing for is intimacy, is to know and to be known. So the real question is, how do you grow in that intimacy with Christ? And how do you grow in even non-sexual intimacy with others? It's what your body, what your soul is looking for. See, at the end of that story that was told in Proverbs 7, we find this line, Many are the victims that she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. And I know that sitting here in this room, you're thinking, many of you, I'm in that group. I'm in that group. I've been enticed. I've been seduced. I've been hooked. I didn't go looking for it, but now I do. I'm like a fish. I took the bait, and I feel like I'm just on that highway to death. I'm addicted sexually, and I'm so discouraged. I'm so ashamed. The solution for your lust is actually not sex. If you're single, the answer is not go get married. And if you're married, the answer is not go have more sex with your spouse. Because we're not replacing the adulterous woman with your, with your wife or your husband. All you'll do is end up with a lustful marriage, and we have far too many of those marriages already in our church. It's not to continue to shift the blame onto someone or something else, but as is the solution and the hope with every ailment that we find, the solution and the hope is found in the gospel. It's in the good news of Jesus Christ, and you get a glimpse of that actually in Proverbs 5, 21. But it might not feel like good news for many of us. See, following this, this call to avoid, keep to a path far from her, from sexual immorality, 521 says this, For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. When you read that verse, does that sound like good news to you? Because for most of us, the way that we have been conditioned to hear a verse like that is terrifying. Oh, shoot, God knows. He's kind of like a Santa Claus who keeps a good list and a bad list, and he knows then I'd be on the bad list. Don't slip up. God's angry. He's disappointed. He's ready to smack you upside the head. God knows what I'm doing in secret. He knows what I do in the darkness. He knows my thoughts. He knows my browsing history. That's all true, and guys, that is really good news. That is really good news. Because before you were even born, before you were hooked, he saw your future. He saw the places that you would look for life that can't give you life. He sees and he knows your lustful thoughts. And he came anyway. In fact, it's the very reason that Jesus came to earth, was to bring freedom, to bring hope, to bring life. He knows the depths of your dark heart better than you know them yourself. And he died for you anyways. And he gives you his spirit 
so that as we walk with the Spirit, which means every moment surrendering, in, that's that whole passage that talks about pray without ceasing, all the time, surrendering ourselves to the Lord, following what He says, trusting Him. He has given you His Spirit so that as we walk with Him, as we grow in wisdom, we are not slaves any longer to the lustful desires of our flesh. That in Christ there is freedom. That you're no longer a slave and we're called to not use our freedom to indulge our sinful lusts anymore. That our chains are broken. Far too often we think of lust as an insurmountable problem which is a little bit ridiculous considering the power that you have inside of you as a follower of Jesus. You have the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. there are men and women all around this room who have stories of how God has actually and can actually bring freedom and redeem your story. I never said it would be easy. It will take hard work, open honesty. But brother or sister trapped in sexual addiction, lift up your face. Get your eyes off of yourself and off of your sin and your addiction and look to Christ, the one who has made an end to all your sin, who offers forgiveness and true intimacy, which is what you long for in the deepest part. And the gospel is true for you whether you don't struggle with this area at all. That doesn't make you any more loved by Jesus. Or whether you have been addicted for what feels like your whole life, you're not loved any less. And that is the good news. What is our response to that? The response through the whole Bible is always one word, repentance, which is not a bad word, it is a good word. Repentance is a combination of confession, Lord, you are right, and action. Since you're right, I will adjust my life to align with your reality. It starts, though, with confession, Confess your needs first to the Lord who's faithful to forgive. See, we often talk about struggling with lust and with porn. But there's a big difference between struggling with sin or just living in it and indulging in it. The question is, are you honest? Are you honest? And then confess it to someone else. You cannot and will not beat lust. You cannot and will not beat any sin alone. And what feels so terrifying to let someone else into your world enough to know you and to know your struggles, that thing that feels like it's going to kill you is actually the very thing that will be a part of God's journey to redemption for you. And today, if you are not personally struggling in this area, this is not a moment for self-righteousness. Don't check out. This is not a moment to condemn those who do struggle. It's a moment of honest compassion. We belong to one another. Which means that if you're not struggling, but your brother is, you're one body and you belong to each other. If you're not struggling and your sister is, you belong to one another. How can you be an advocate? How can you be an encourager for someone who is? Who might that be for you? 
If the enemy's recipe is silence, darkness, and isolation, then we combat that with confession and stepping into the light. For most of us, again, that's terrifying, but it will happen in a real awkward moment. A real awkward moment, which you're welcome. You now at least have a conversation starter. So what do you think of that sermon? There's at least a starter for the conversation. If you're at a point where you actually need more than that, there's a men's group that's going to meet this fall called On Point, and we are working to start a women's group as well. where you can walk with brothers or with sisters who are in the same boat and find hope and healing together. If you're not ready for that, it's a ministry called Harvest USA that's right down the road. They have counselors, they have therapists, people that want to walk alongside of you. But for most of us, that's going to come by taking that step of faith to have a conversation with a friend, with someone you know, with someone you trust. But repentance is not just words. Repentance is words paired with the submission of your life. So friends, keep far from a path because you're free. What does that need to look like in your life today? What steps of faith will you take? Who will you bring into your story? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And where the sun is, you are free indeed. May we live together, leaning into that freedom that Christ has won. Struggling, battling together, keeping far from the path of the adulterous woman. But we need wisdom for that. Let's go to the Lord for that together. Father, the pool of sexual temptation and lust The promises, they do taste like honey sometimes, but it's bitter. It looks like it'll make my life better, but it actually leads to death. Father, on our own, we are weak, but you, for those of us who are looking to Jesus, trusting in your death and your resurrection and your soon return, we are not alone. You have given us your spirit, and spirit, would you empower us? Would you give us the courage the honesty with ourselves and the honesty with someone else. And would you help us walk in that freedom so that we don't gratify gratify the lust of the flesh, our sinful desires. And we're not alone because you have given us one another. Lord, it is scary to think about talking to someone else. But Lord, give us the courage to do so. Not because you're wanting to hold out on us, but because on the other side of that, on the other side of what feels like death, is resurrection. And Jesus, you're going to come back one day and you're going to fix all this. And lust, temptation, sexual immorality will be gone for good because that old order, the old order that we live in, will be done away with forever. But until you come, Lord, may we walk in wisdom together in submission to your spirit for your glory, for our good, for our life. And so that the world around us, hungry for intimacy, might see something better. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, life everlasting. Amen.